0: The talk this evening is on letting go. Having the insight and understanding, the spaciousness and equanimity to let go of things in our minds, in our lives, is a basic prerequisite to spiritual growth. In our exploration and inquiry into ourselves, into our lives, we are again and again confronted with the actuality that letting go is the quality, the capacity that brings freedom. We're equally confronted with the basic actuality that as long as we cling to things, as long as we grasp hold of things, as long as there is identification, then we also create for ourselves, in our minds, in our lives, limitation and restriction. And the the path of freedom is essentially an extraordinarily simple path. The path of meditation is not one that's particularly concerned with promoting very complicated philosophies, nor with perfecting techniques, nor is it one which is particularly concerned with promoting belief systems, but rather it is one of clearly understanding the need to let go. It is one of learning how to cease to cling to things, how to cease to hold on to things, The path of inner freedom, which is what meditation is essentially concerned with, the inner freedom of the individual, is the path of renunciation. This is what meditation revolves around. It doesn't revolve around gaining experiences or going deeper or progressing. Meditation essentially is to reveal to us more and more deeply, more and more clearly, that clinging creates suffering. It's to reveal to us on a very intuitive level, a very deep level, that we cannot have clinging without pain. It's to understand that relationship between clinging and pain deeply enough, so deeply and so intuitively, that there is letting go, there is renunciation, without any effort, without any suppression, without any willpower involved. It is to reveal to us that freedom is essentially not accessible to us unless we are truly willing on every level to let go of everything that we grasp hold of, everything that we take a stand upon, everything that we identify with, everything that we base our self-image upon. The fact and the actuality that clinging and grasping creates suffering, creates limitation, is one that is intellectually very clear to us. Very very logical to us. And yet, it's also very clear to us that if we are to be free from limitation, we need to know how to let go of our attachments. And yet, despite its obviousness, it is the actuality that is the most difficult to apply. This simple truth of the need to let go, the need to renounce, seems to be the one that in actuality is the one that is most difficult to live. Because despite its obviousness, despite its logicalness, we find ourselves continuing to cling, to grasp, to accumulate attachments, to accumulate identifications. And sometimes, at times in our life, we do see the relationship quite clearly between grasping and pain. We do see that if we are to be at all free, often in times of severe stress we see this, that we need to let go of something. But then how often the mind does focus on a particular object, on a particular content of the mind, on a particular object in our lives, and says, well, I must let go of this thing. So often we we focus externally on trying to get rid or let go of a particular object or a state of mind or content of the mind. And we may succeed only to find that the mind then simply accumulates another attachment, simply accumulates another area of grasping, because it's not sufficient to focus on the contents. It's not sufficient to focus on the object. Rather, one really needs to go into and deeply explore this very tendency of mind to cling to things, to grasp hold of things. It's it's the tendency, the, the process, the attitude of mind that needs to be understood, because basically there's only one force of grasping that seeks out different objects to tie itself to. And it's not in any way the object that needs to be resolved or modified or changed. But rather the tendency that needs to be understood. When we look at the conflicts, the problems, the anxiety in our lives, we very quickly see the effects of grasping. When we look at the effects of attachment, of possessiveness, we also very quickly see the way in which grasping limits us the way in which every time we grasp hold of something, every time we tie ourselves to something, we create for ourselves another restriction, another area of bondage. We need to, When we look at our insecurities, our fears, our anxieties, we see the way in which we perpetuate limitation through grasping. We understand that we cannot have attachment without pain. We understand clearly that we cannot have grasping without limitation. And if we are sincere, if we are actually dedicated to freedom, to being free inwardly, then we need to ask ourselves why it is so difficult to let go. Why it is so difficult for us to walk on the path of freedom? Why is it so difficult to set aside our attachments, our identifications? What is it within us that prevents us from really expressing and actualizing that understanding that grasping creates limitation? As long as that duality, that conflict between intellectually seeing the need to let go and The inability to apply it is not understood then we will continue to live in a limited way accumulating attachments grasping hold of objects grasping hold of mental states and being tied to each and every thing that we grasp hold of there is something within us that still seeks to gain something from attachment that still seeks to gain something from grasping. There is something which, within us which prevents us from living in accord with what we see to be true. And this is what needs to be understood, not how to let go, not how to be free from grasping. Our mind is so conditioned to seek for answers, because there's no, there's no formula that exists that tells us how to let go of something but we're so conditioned to see in that way if we see a a problem we think well there must be a solution there must be an answer there must be a a process or a formula that exists in some way that will bring about the end to that problem and so often we become so focused on finding answers finding solutions that we cease to ask the questions that we stop questioning, that we stop inquiring, that we stop asking this basic question of why are we hanging on to things? Why can't we let go of things? We see the relationship between attachment and pain. We see the relationship between grasping and suffering. We also see that it continues. No doubt all of us would say, That we wish for freedom in our lives, that we wish for the end of suffering. And yet it would seem on the surface that we do not wish for it deeply enough to let go of the causes of suffering, to let go of the source of pain. It seems that on some level we are willing to accept a certain amount of pain in our lives. It seems that. On some level, we're willing to accept a certain amount of anxiety, a certain amount of pressure, a certain amount of conflict. The very actuality of continuing to cling reveals a kind of mixed message within the consciousness. On the one hand, desiring to let go, on the other hand, seeking for something from holding on. And yet the willingness, the willingness to accept a degree of suffering or pain or conflict in our lives is equally the willingness to accept suffering and pain, the continuation of it in the world. Because there's no way that we can separate the principles and qualities that operate in our consciousness from the principles and qualities that operate in the world to create suffering. It's not as if the the hostility and the aggression and the, the conflict that exists in the world is some sort of separate entity from all of us. The world is only a combination of individual consciousness. The world is only an expression and a magnification of our own consciousness. There will continue to be that perpetuation of of oppression of exploitation of suffering of aggression in the world as long as we find it continuing it within ourselves there's a relationship between the inner and the outer that we can't deny it seems to me that there are two basic principles which operate within us which perpetuate grasping, which also perpetuate suffering. And they are the principles of fear and pleasure. Those two principles of fear and pleasure are basic barriers to inner freedom. The operation, the influence of fear and ple- pleasure within us creates an enormous amount of pain in our lives and also prevents us from living a truly ethical a truly caring and compassionate life the influence of fear <coughs> and pleasure within us creates an enormous amount of confusion and noise within the mind we need to see in our own lives and our own minds the ways in which these two principles are related the ways in which they operate, the ways in which they influence us. In in each subtle interaction, in our relationship to ourselves and our relationship to other people, how much are these two principles of fear and pleasure distorting forces, conditioning factors in our relationships? It seems that desire, Wanting things is a problem. It is a problem for many of us. We seem to want so many things, and it seems to be very rare that we ever really get a rest from wanting. And that wanting of so many different things keeps us busy, it keeps us occupied, and it's a directing force in our lives. It's probably rare, quite rare, to experience moments within ourselves when we're not in a state of wanting. Wanting to get something, wanting to change something, wanting to get rid of something. That wanting, towards and away from, for and against, the busyness and the occupations that is produced by it, consumes an enormous amount of energy in the mind the very consumption of that energy also tends to make us rather dull, rather indifferent. It tends to make us rather self-centered. For example, we may be able to appreciate other people's desires and wants, but very rarely feel them to the extent that we appreciate our own desires and wants. And the wanting, the desiring, has a narrowing force on the mind. The degree that we're ensnared by wanting to change, to get, to get rid of, is also the degree that we tend to be unaware of anything apart from our wanting. And a lack of awareness is inevitably also a lack of sensitivity. We want objects. We want things. We want prestige. We want success. We want to have a comfortable work. We want the continuation, the continuity of a number of things in our lives, particularly the things that reinforce and enhance us. We want the continuity of relationships that are flattering, of interactions that are flattering, of experiences that are enhancing. We say we also want the end of suffering, the end of pain. But so often we're so busy and occupied with getting everything else that there's not even the energy to even question what that means. There's also, besides the thing that we want, there's also the things that we don't want, which change and vary from moment to moment. We don't want the mental states which are difficult. We don't want we don't want hostility, we don't want our opinions, our lifestyles questioned. There's a variety of things that we want to get rid of. Remember, children go through a certain phase when they're very young, when they seem to be entirely occupied with wanting, and they often don't have an object, and one sees a sort of bare, naked force of desire operating where the eyes and the ears are constantly roving of I want, I want, I want and often it's just I want and they can't just look for something to want. And as we become older we often become more much more subtle and much more sophisticated in our wants. But still often that basic principle is operating. It's often not I want this thing or I want that new object or that new toy. But rather I want to things to be just right. I want things to be just perfect. Something's a little bit out of line, a little bit out of order, so I must change and modify. This movement towards and away from things, being for and against things, trying to get, trying to get rid of, is basically the desire for pleasure basically the desire for the pleasant sensation. And as long as we are caught in that movement, we become ensnared in this pursuit of things, in this avoidance of things. We become ensnared in in trying to get things, trying to get rid of things. And so there's always conflict. There's always tension. Whenever the mind is in a state of wanting, there is tension. There's something missing, or there's something present that we don't want. There's always that, Uh, an effort, an action taking place in the mind to change, to modify, to alter. There's always tension. And desire is always related to sensation. In the very movement of desire for or against something, it's a movement towards or away from a particular kind of sensation. And the sensation, invariably, that we seek for is a pleasant sensation. It's obvious that we can't make ourselves stop wanting things. We can't, through willpower, or through discipline, (coughs) or through effort, bring about an end to this movement of the mind. Rather, we must really ask ourselves why we become so fascinated with the pleasant sensation. What kind of emptiness within ourselves are we trying to fill up through gaining the pleasant sensation? What is it within ourselves that we feel to be lacking, that we try to cover up our awareness of it through contact with the pleasant sensation? There are moments in our lives when there's intense pain, intense conflict, intense suffering, that we become so aware of this relationship between grasping and pain. And often in those moments then we really feel that I I need to change, I need to somehow cut through this desire for it, this force, this wanting force. And yet if we want to change, because we don't like pain, to try and get rid of pain, it's just a reaction. And invariably we try and replace it with pleasure. And so the whole cycle begins again. Often we don't like to recognize that we do that and so sometimes we put more attractive labels on it and we say that we're seeking for enlightenment or liberation or freedom. And yet often it's this very same movement of desire. Often it's the same motive of wanting some kind of sensation, some kind of experience, some kind of state, which invariably we associate with, with pleasure in order to enhance me, in order that I don't feel disturbed or threatened, we must be willing to do more within ourselves than just modify the state of our minds, than just to change or alter the kind of experience we have. And this is all that self-improvement promises. Is a more attractive, a more pleasing self but still very, very much the same old self that has the tendency to seek for pleasure and so also has the tendency to experience pain. We must be willing to make and see and understand a kind of radical change within ourselves A kind of radical change where we go beyond the field of pleasure and beyond the field of pain, which is essentially going beyond the center of self. It's seen through the insubstantiality, transparency of notions of I, of self. We must be willing to go beyond the field of pleasure, the field of pain, an unconditional letting go, an unconditional renunciation that comes not from desiring pleasure, not from avoiding pain, but through seeing totally and understanding the relationship between pleasure and pain. Through understanding that so deeply from a place of silence that there can be simply a going beyond, the field of experience, going beyond the field of pleasure and the field of pain. Letting go is not difficult. If it's difficult, it's because there isn't understanding yet. If we find it difficult to let go of anything, to renounce anything, it's because we haven't understood it yet deeply enough. Understand, Letting go isn't difficult, when it comes out of understanding, out of Mm -hmm. silence. And it's also obvious that we can't make the mind silent. We can't force or bring about through willpower a place of silence within ourselves. We try to get silence through avoiding things. So often we try and make the mind silent through avoiding things through trying to get rid of the unpleasant, through trying to get rid of the noise. But all of that is reaction. All of that is simply a reaction. I don't like pain. I don't like what's happening to me. And the very trying to get rid of anything perpetuates noise, distorts stillness. must be willing to experience some noise. Be with it. See it not to alter it, not to modify it, not to change it in any way, but to see the very movement that is producing that chatter, to see the very tensions in the mind that is producing that, that constant noise within. So often the noise that we experience is the noise of wanting, the noise of wanting something, the noise of wanting to get rid of some unpleasant mental state, some image that's arising. So often the noise we experience is the noise of the mind reaching out to make contact. We must understand that for anything to take place within the consciousness, there must be contact. Contact between the sense door and the sense object. That contact produces feeling, which produces wanting, which produces clinging. The Buddha once said that the, the foolish person pursues contact, and the wise person seeks to understand it, because it's that moment of contact that needs to be clearly seen within the consciousness. If there is a sense of dissatisfaction or restlessness within ourselves, we find ourselves invariably pursuing that contact, reaching out to make contact with something a sense object or something within the mind, a thought or an image or a memory or a plan, in order to distract ourselves, in order to distract ourselves from the restlessness, from the wanting. And it's that point of contact which in meditation, which in a more subtle, deeper level of meditation, really needs to be clearly understood, because it's at that point that the mischief of the mind really begins, that we really see the, the, the illusions being built, the, the deceptions being created, that there's that point of contact that our, our belief systems begin, our, our attachments, our graspings begin. And it's very important to be able to see that. That movement that takes place is the lure of the pleasant sensation, is motivated by the enticement of the pleasant sensation. We often pursue the pleasant sensation because we equate often in our minds the pleasant sensation as being the same as peace. Peace is so often seen to be the absence of conflict. Silence is so often seen to be the absence of noise. Serenity is so often seen to be the absence of activity. And so often we equate peace with that absence, and we equate peace with a pleasant sensation. But peace does not depend in you know, a peace, in a serenity, in a clarity, isn't dependent on the absence of anything. And as long as we're avoiding conflict, trying to get rid of conflict, trying to get rid of noise, or trying to get rid of activity, we also distort peace. We also distort that sense of serenity, and sense of balance and equanimity within ourselves. Serenity and peace and equanimity is not the absence, but it's rather the ability to be with what is, without judgment, without avoidance, without pursuit. It's the ability to be with what is without trying to get rid of anything or trying to add anything to it. The mind that is aware, the consciousness that is aware, is also at peace and fully recognizes that there is nothing separate from awareness. Peace is not so much a state of mind, and this is what we don't always see, because we see that states of mind always come and go. And as long as we equate peace with a state of mind, we may at times produce a state of mind where there's an absence of large amount of tension, an absence of conflict, and we say, well, it's peaceful. But of course, the tendency is there to grasp, to identify, and so that state of mind passes. Peacefulness, serenity, clarity, and awareness is not a state of mind. This is so important to see. but It is a quality of seeing. You cannot separate mind from its contents. You cannot separate mind from activity. And mind, its contents and activities, arises and passes, comes and goes, in silence, and awareness. There's nothing that is separate from awareness. Awareness holds the movement, and awareness holds the absence of movement. And movement is not a quality of awareness. Movement is a quality of mind. Sometimes we seem to go in and out of awareness, but we don't go in and out of awareness. We only identify with movement. The I becomes identified with activity. The I becomes identified with contents. The sense of I becomes identified with movement. And in that identification, silence, awareness, is suffocated through the identification. Awareness doesn't have that quality of movement, because where there is movement, there is always motive, there is always choice whether it's valid and intentional, the choice of attention, (coughs) or whether it is one of being grabbed hold of by things. An awareness is only seeing, the presence and absence, the contents and the lack of contents. And there is nothing, absolutely nothing, that is separate from awareness. Because awareness, that quality of seeing, makes no choices, doesn't direct in any way. And yet so often we don't see that. We hold on to our images of peace, we hold on to our images of serenity. And so we also hold on to and identify with that movement towards the pleasant and away from the unpleasant, trying to achieve a state that fits in with our image. As long as we do that, we try, as much as possible, to create a comfortable world for ourselves, a pleasant world. We try and create a comfortable world with as much as possible reinforcement, enhancement, flattery, continuity. We try to create a comfortable world by trying to get rid of anything that threatens and questions. We're also tied to the pursuit of pleasure and the avoidance of pain. And as long as we are tied to creating a comfortable world, We also cannot live an ethical life. We cannot live a sensitive life, we cannot live a caring life, because the comfortable world, which is to the gratification of I, is always at the expense of other. And this is the mark of success in our Western society the ability to fill our worlds with as much pleasure as possible and as little pain as possible. And yet no no matter how much we endeavor to create that comfortable world, there will still be conflict because with creation, the sense of I have created something, there's always grasping, there's always identification, there's also always defensiveness and the need to protect. And we must surely see that aggression is related to pleasure. So often we try to create that comfortable world for ourselves by accumulating things, accumulating attachments, accumulating objects. And we accumulate things because they seem to have the power to protect us from pain. We accumulate attachments and possessiveness because it seems to have the power to ward off insecurity, to ward off loneliness, to ward off fear. And yet in the very accumulation, that sense of comfort, that sense of security and absence of fear, can only exist as long as our accumulations and our identifications aren't threatened. And so fear is always a companion attachment, because the very nature of change, the very nature of the world, is to always threaten our accumulations, is to always threaten our attachments. So the more that we try to cling and preserve and maintain things, the more defensive and the more threatened we feel. Through accumulation and attachment and identification, we try and preserve things. We have a relationship. It feels loving, it feels good. We want to preserve it. As soon as we try and preserve it, we destroy it. Because as soon as we try and preserve it, it's no longer the loving which is important. It's the state. It's the object. It's the continuity which then becomes important. And so often then, the very loving that we try to preserve is destroyed. We must see that fear is always a companion to desire, is always a companion to the pleasant sensation, the fear of loss, the fear of rejection, the fear of threat. We must also see that aggression is a companion of both fear and pleasure. What happens when you are denied something you want? What happens when you can't get something you want? You want some object or you want some kind of feedback. You want some kind of support or agreement in your opinions. You want approval. What happens when it's denied? What happens when your companion rejects you? What happens when you meet somebody who, who threatens your, your worldview or your opinions? It's not so often that we just respond with equanimity. it's, all right, it's the way it is. It is much more frequent that we find ourselves responding with hostility, with anger, with aggression. Jealousy, oppression, resentment are surely all forms of aggression that arise when we are denied our access to the pleasant sensation. Forms of aggression that are not just directed outwardly, but forms of aggression that are also directed inwardly. We must say we we have attachment to particular images of ourselves. We have attachment to progress. We have grasping hold of pleasant mental states. How do we treat ourselves when they are threatened, when they are questioned? So often then that hostility is directed inwardly in the form of self-judgment, in the form of self-doubt, in the form of rejection. The principles that operate are directed inwardly towards ourselves. I direct it outwardly towards other people. Aggression exists as long as that desire for pleasure and the avoidance of pain exists. Aggression exists as long as fear exists. And all of that can only exist as long as there is grasping, as long as there is clinging, and that clinging prevents us from living in an ethical, caring way. And An ethical relationship to life is a foundation of freedom. We cannot be free inwardly ever if we do not have a sensitive ethical foundation. And by an ethical foundation, I don't mean a, a kind of world which is filled with rules and precepts and discipline but rather a relationship to life which is characterized by love, by sensitivity and by compassion. The desire for pleasure makes it very difficult for us to have a loving relationship to life because the desire for pleasure creates a separation between ourselves and all of that which seems to be which are objects which either offer the potential for pleasure or the potential for pain. The desire for pleasure creates and reinforces that separation and makes us see the world and other people as a series of objects which have either the potential to gratify or the potential to to threaten. And there's no relationship in that. There's no relationship when we see other people as objects. There's no relationship when we see the world of nature, the world of phenomena, as a series of objects. It's very difficult to be fully compassionate, truly caring and sensitive and compassionate, as long as we are bound by fear and pleasure, because invariably we're going to also be bound by defensiveness and aggressiveness. A true relationship to life begins when there is one basic dedication in our worlds, which is a dedication to the end of suffering. Not my suffering, not your suffering. But recognizing that in this world of a variety of different appearances and presentations of other people, there is basically only oneself appearing in many different forms and suffering is just suffering. Conflict is just conflict. And a true relationship to life begins when there's a dedication to seeing the end of suffering, which is truly going beyond the field of pleasure and the field of pain, through understanding, through insight, through seeing the nature of grasping, through seeing the nature of identification, through seeing the nature of clinging, It's when a relationship begins. And going beyond the field of pleasure and the field of pain doesn't in any way mean an an arid, barren, dry existence. And this is so often some form of justification nonsense I've heard. So I mustn't get too detached. I won't be able to feel anything. (laughs) I must surely say that true appreciation begins. True appreciation begins. Of another person, of ourselves, of the world we live in, begins when we're not tied to pleasure and pain. A true appreciation and sensitivity of each moment, of seeing the totality of each person, seeing the totality of each contact, begins when we're not bound by clinging. A true appreciation of ourselves, our potential and our vision of ourselves, begins when we're not restricted by grasping, Because appreciation does mean love, does mean care, does mean sensitivity, does mean compassion, does mean that we don't live in a world of objects, does mean that we don't live in a world of separation. But true appreciation begins when we we recognize, intuitively understand, a kind of oneness, a sense and quality of oneness in life despite its apparent differences, despite its apparent different presentations and appearances. When there's that appreciation, there's taking nothing for granted. And there is in that a true response of love, a true response of care, a true response of compassion that can be there when we are really willing to go into the question of why we cling, why we grasp, why we take hold of things. Not as a reaction, not to try and get rid of pain, not to try and avoid anything or to pursue anything, but simply to explore the questions. And meditation is that exploration. May all beings, be free from suffering. May our beings be free from conflict. May our beings be without limitation.